West Bowles, good morning. Hey, thank you for joining us this morning. And before I get going, just a thank you to David Perez for wrapping up our from getting there from here last week. He did an incredible job. And what David really wrapped up was something that we have begun talking about really for the year ahead. And it's this idea of this journey through life is really one that is, is lived and walked through by faith, not by sight. And we'll, we'll talk about more specifically um, what that's going to look like in terms of here, this church, this morning. But I need to address something real quick. Uh, we were notified this week that there is a scam targeting churches going on right now. This is not, this is not a, like anecdotal story. This is true. Um, and so people are emailing, I mean, people are getting emails saying that it's from the pastor of, the, of different churches around here asking for Target gift cards. Okay, so this is like when the IRS puts out an announcement. Here's how we'll contact you, okay? Number one, if you get an email from me, you need to know that Nathan will only contact you one of four ways. Um, Morse code, okay, I think it's coming back. Morse code, um, interpretive dance, okay? Uh, a cup on a string, I will hand you a cup and we will talk through, try it, it's better than text messaging, teenagers. And email, which means we have a major problem, okay? So, um, no, it just means that if you get one of these emails and it says from Nathan, but it says like warmest regards or sincerely, sincerely yours, it's not me, it's not me, all right? <laughs> I just leave it at Nathan, okay? But uh, we are, as we said, collecting Starbucks gift cards. So I thought I'd put that out there in case you get an email from Nathan, okay? So let me pray real quickly. Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that you would open our eyes to both your glory and your joy found in your word. Soften our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 21 years ago, I was a senior in high school, which I know is hard to believe because I'm looking like I'm 22 years old right now, but 21 years ago, I was a senior in high school and I had a friend one day uh, he said, Nathan, tomorrow we're going swimming, so bring your swimsuit and we'll go. And I took him at his word and I went, sweet, okay, sounds good. Next day came around, um, school got out, we hopped in his car, and I'm thinking, okay, no outdoor pools are open right now. Um, and so I figured maybe we're going to Lily Gulch down here because the ridge wasn't built over here yet. So we drove past the road that would have taken us to Lily Gulch, and I went, huh, Maybe we're going to another pool. But he was busy talking to somebody else in the car. And we got on C-470, and we ended up, and then I'm thinking, okay, maybe we're going to Golden Rec Center. And um, we passed where you would have gotten off to go to Golden Rec Center. And I finally stopped, and I said, hey, I thought we were going swimming. He said, we are. I said, where are we going? He's like, well, it's kind of swimming. It's, it's a water jump. And I was like, a water jump, which immediately set me on edge because here's what you need to know about Nathan. Nathan is a sissy with this kind of thing, okay? <laughs> I mean like roller coasters. I know some of you love roller coasters. I hate them with everything in me. I just can't stand roller coasters. In fact, how many of you not like, how many of you cannot stand roller coasters? Okay, good. We would all hang out at the amusement park together, okay? I remember standing in line after this girl when I was a teenager said, I'll hold your hand if you go on the roller coaster. I was like, that's enough for me, okay? But then we got in line, 
And I remember what happened to my prayer life. It was like, oh God, please shut the ride down or something like that. Um, and then it got so bad that I was like, Jesus, you can come back now in the next four minutes before we get on the ride. And it, it just was terrible. I actually ended up getting out of line because I, I just was like, I'm not willing to do it. People called me names. People made fun of me. I was like, I don't even care. I don't care. I want the headache. I don't want my legs to be weak. My legs are weak right now, just thinking about it. I just went, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I don't care. It reminded me of when I was younger, when you get to the edge of the high dive for the first time. And you know, it's like a 10-foot drop, but it's water, and it's clear, and you see the bottom. So it's a 30-foot drop is really what it is. And I just remember thinking, I'm not doing it. And I actually did the walk of shame, where I walked off the diving board. Kids had formed a line, like, up the ladder. I was like, excuse me, excuse me, I'm getting down. <laughs> Nathan, you're a wimp. I was like, I know. I don't even care. And I remember I'd go sit down after backing off from the roller coaster, or backing off from the diving board, and going, I don't want to put myself through that. But inside, there was this thing inside me going, but I can't help thinking I'm missing out on something. I can't help thinking I'm missing out on something. And here's why I bring this up. Because for many people in this room, even if, you've, if this is your first time at church or your thousandth time at church, we all come up to the roller coaster or we all come up to the edge of the diving board. Because you know what? Church is like a roller coaster. Church is like a diving board. Church is like a water jump that I later found out was not a water jump. Okay, let's call it what it is. It's a cliff jump is what he was taking me to. And it was, uh, I thought, oh, it's like eight feet in the air. It was 35 feet in the air. But isn't that how church feels sometimes? You take this step and you, and you walk in and you get used to a certain level of involvement and engagement and you find yourself standing at the edge of the diving board, at the edge of the cliff, in the line for the roller coaster. And we all carry around a set of filters and things that are going to stop us from taking that leap. And so over the next month or so, what I'd really like to talk about is the church. The church. And specifically to ask every single person in here, myself included as I look in the mirror, what are those sets of filters that are keeping me from taking a step or taking a leap? into something that might just be so good for me. So we're going to talk about that over the next week. We're really asking you, would you take a leap of faith when it comes to the church? Now, there's this tension and there's this filter that I want to look at today. We're going to talk about one each week. There's, there's one thing I want to look at today that every single person in here carries around. And I was so uh, just in awe as I looked at it. It's, it's called one of the wisdom books, the book of Ecclesiastes, which many people read it and they get incredibly depressed. But there's this really incredible insight in there. Solomon, who's thought to have written it. Solomon, who's considered outside Jesus the wisest person who ever lived, except at one point he had 700 wives. And I don't know how wise that is. But anyhow, 700 wives. It's not wise, Solomon. I could have told you that. But Solomon starts looking around one day, and he said, there's this thing. There's this thing that goes on inside all of us. And so I want us to look at that. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And as Solomon's looking around, he, he kind of looks at a few different kinds of people that, that everybody in here can resonate with and we can recognize in ourselves. And as he looks at these different kinds of people, he notices there's this thing. 
that goes on inside of us, that keeps us from getting more engaged, from taking a step, maybe taking a leap. Take a look at what he says. Verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And this really brings up the first person that Solomon's just making observations about. And it's one that you may not have just made observations. You may have lived this experience. People who have been broken apart, the oppressed. And in this case, he's talking about the oppression he saw in the courts at that time of the poor, of the widowed, of the suffering. He said there's pain there. You in pain this morning? Have you been in pain before? Because something happens when we're in pain that makes it impossible to look outside of ourselves. It makes it absolutely impossible. Every time I encounter somebody who is sharing their pain, I cannot help thinking in the back of my mind of, of this, and I've gotten to share this with you before, but when my wife was in, in labor with Lainey, our firstborn, she, was, it, she needed my hand to squeeze onto, and I gave her the hand with the ring on it, and she squeezed, and she squeezed, and she squeezed. And she was determined. The nurse said, are you sure you don't want an epidural? And she said, no, I'm, I'm not doing an epidural. And I was like, load me up. Come on, load me up. <laughs> and I remember thinking, it was in so much pain. She's giving birth. I'm having my hand with the ring on it squeezed. And I said, can you, can you just not squeeze my hand so hard? Because that hurts. And <laughs> I remember the nurse just going... No, nope, we don't do that. We don't do that, spouse. <laughs> so, but isn't it true you've had pain that makes it impossible to think outside of you, your world? It's a natural thing when we get broken apart. Solomon looks around and he points out a second kind of person. He said, and I saw a couple of verses later, verse four, and I saw that all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Did you hear that word? Envy. Have you felt that? Like at all today? Multiple times probably. He says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. That is, you'd be foolish to sit there and not try, not strive for anything in life. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. But he says this, on the other end of the spectrum, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls chasing after the wind. And we see a second kind of person here. Not just those who have been broken apart, but he says, I also see people who try to be set apart. There are those who try to be set apart. And he said, it's, it's chasing after the wind. There's, there's a uh, radio program called This American Life, and they ran an episode about cars that would gather, like a band something like that. And this is in another state, but... People would offload these cars onto this racetrack, but they weren't racing them. This was a car stereo competition. And so what they would do is they would have eight cars um, lined up across a couple different tracks. And many of them, it was just which car could play music the loudest decibel. Here's the really interesting thing about these cars. None of them could be driven. They would actually pull up a trailer and offload it. One guy had 900 pounds of concrete 
in the base of the car to stabilize it because of all the electricity, all the subwoofers, all the sound equipment in there because he wanted to win. He wanted his to be louder than the person's next to you. And Solomon, Solomon would look at that and he'd say, that's, that's meaningless. We get this. You fill up your car with so much sound equipment that it can't be driven. It's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. Well, Solomon, he can't catch the wind. He says, yes, that's my point. So he looks around. He sees people that have been broken apart. He sees people that are trying to be set apart, and they're so focused on what they're trying to do. And he finally, he points out somebody, somebody else. And we don't know if it's somebody he knows or just something he observed or thought about. Verse 7. He says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Solomon looks around. He sees people that have been broken apart. He sees people trying to be set apart. And then finally he looks here and he sees somebody who's just not a part of anything beyond themselves. Now this person he would have been thinking about, and to the Hebrews, they would have understood this. Because the cross hadn't happened yet, and they hadn't known about Jesus yet. And so they thought that the only way they continued their life, their legacy, all their being on, was to have family to pass their, their name onto. And he said, here's somebody who had nothing beyond himself to pour into, to, to hand off. And we get this, don't we? Because how many times, how many times have you seen a puzzle piece laying out that's not part? It's frustrating, isn't it? How many times have you seen a Monopoly piece laying around or found the power cord to something, but you can't find the actual something it goes to? Or for me, every time I see an Oreo cookie, I'm like, where's the milk? It's meaningless. Actually, every time I see a glass of milk, I say, where's the Oreo? Because milk's meaningless. I mean, you can't have it with anything else. And Solomon looks around and he says, I see people who've been broken apart by the oppression of all the systems and structures of the world. I see people trying to be set apart from everybody else and be distinguished and maybe rise above and step on others if they have to. And I see people that are not a part of anything greater than, than themselves. If I could come to us for a minute, do any of those resonate? I mean, if you're like me, you look at all three of those and go, yeah, I know that. Yep, I know that space. Oh, I know that one, too. And see, it really brings up this first filter that we're talking about today. We tend to, we gravitate toward protecting our world of one because the world really has a way of whittling us down to me and myself and I. It's about me. And we think if I just protect my world of one, if I can become ruler of my world of one, if I can control everything in my world of one, then I'll be okay. I'll be okay. But to that, Solomon says this at the end of verse 8. He says, this too is meaningless. It's a miserable business. You notice the language throughout here? If we could go back and read it again, he talks about being alone. He talks about chasing. He talks about tears. He talks about being oppressed. He talks about 
misery. And he says it's meaningless. Here's, here's what he's getting at with this emphasis on one. Because we get so individualistic when we think about our lives. He says if we protect our world of one, eventually we come undone. You come undone when you protect your world of one. You do. You know, I was, I was talking to a guy at seminary a couple years ago. He had taken his family on this trip, um, and he had secretly planned to take them to Disney World. But he told his kids, hey, we're going to Junction City, Kansas. And so these kids are like thinking, okay, Junction City, Kansas. They got there. They spent like a day there. They were in this motel. They went to this swimming pool that was pretty filthy. And uh, they walked around small town, small town America. And at the end of the day, he said, well... I guess, um, I guess we could stay here, or, and he pulled out like these four Mickey Mouse hats. He's like, we can go to Disney World. And he said his kids were like, I like Junction City, Kansas. Because that's what happens to us when we get into our world of one. We settle. We settle. And here's what I love about this passage, is that Solomon is going to walk us through this language. I'm a numbers guy. But he's going to move from this language of one into something more. Listen to what he says next. <clears throat> he says, having seen the dynamics, or I'm sorry, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And he's already getting at this idea that I'd love for us to just keep in mind for the next month or so here. And it's simply this, that being a part of is greater than being a part from. Being a part of something greater than me is, be is better than being a part from something greater than me. Because when we live in that world of one, he says we come undone. And especially when it comes to the church, a part of is greater than a part from. And so he points at this number. He says, so let's look at two in verse nine. Verse, uh, verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Now, nobody in here would disagree with that. Because isn't it true you can spend months and months and months thinking about something, trying to figure something out, and as soon as you get to talk to somebody else about it, have you had it where like in five minutes they're like, well, why don't you just? Or have you tried? It's like, I hadn't even thought about that. That hadn't even dawned on me. Because Solomon's right. You, you get a better return for your labor with two. Then one, he goes on to another benefit. Verse 10, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And he's pointing something out here that the people who try to be set apart often miss, that we're all prone to a fall. We're all susceptible. The book of James, he talks about each of us. Each of us is prone to being dragged away by our own evil intentions, desires, when we're dragged away by those. And Solomon says, so there's wisdom in two, because there's a better return for the labor, but you can be helped up when you fall. He goes on. There's a third one. He says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Isn't it true that you probably don't have to think back very far to a really cold moment that you had? just in life. Solomon says, when you go through that alone, that's a cold place to be. 
One of the things I see across social media constantly is just how cold social media can be when somebody falls, when they mess up, and it's all over the news every single day to the point that we're really becoming numb. Solomon says, two, two, two can fight against the cold of life. He gets to a fourth benefit. He says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Everybody, you know this, everybody, you don't need me to tell you this, is fighting a battle in here. If we have six, 700 people in a room right now, there are at least six or 700 battles, aren't there? And Solomon says, two, two. See, with somebody else, you can defend yourself. And I completely agree with everything Solomon says here, but there's, there's this life observation that I've had. Isn't it true, because you don't need me to tell you this either, that two has also hurt you? Have you been hurt by two before because you depended on somebody and they disappointed you? Because maybe you got attached to somebody and you lost them. Because you trusted somebody and they betrayed you. Because you expected of somebody and they let you down. Because somebody expected of you and you let them down. See, as I'm looking through this progression that Solomon's taken us through from one to two, all I could think was, yeah, when we live in the world of one, we do come undone. And two is better, but it's still broken. Because everybody in here can think of a relationship that didn't work out. Or a relationship that was fractured. Can't we? Two's better, but it's still broken. I'm reminded of this every time we do a puzzle at the table. Our kids have this thing where they all... We'll be focused on the puzzle, and we'll get down to, like, there's one left. There's one piece left. And I'm looking around, and they're like, I'm like, who's got the last, who's got the last piece? And usually it's true, our middle daughter, she's got that last piece, but she's holding it so tightly that she's, like, bending the piece, and it's, like, ripping and tearing, and her siblings are fighting for it because that's what happens in relationship a lot of the time, doesn't it? That in the process of connecting to somebody else, I still keep living for me because I want to be the one to do it. And so Solomon, after talking about life as one, and then life as two, he lands us at one more number. And it's a simple phrase, one you've probably heard at weddings before. He says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, Solomon didn't, they hadn't experienced the cross yet. And so people then would have read it and thought, well, who's that third person? Who is it? And maybe some, with some wisdom, realized that maybe this was a reference to God. But see, we have something we're able to look at. A cord of three strands, that is, I'm in there, others are in there, and Jesus is in there. Our Heavenly Father, His Son, His Holy Spirit. And what Solomon is getting at here is that, yeah, when you live in the world of one, you come undone. And two is better, but it's still broken. But it's in three that God fulfills me. It's only in three. Me, other people, and my Heavenly Father. That's how he fulfills me, and that's how he fulfills 
you. I was reminded years ago when we worked with the youth group that oftentimes we would get, the seniors would be about to graduate out of the group and we would ask them, for, the, for just the knowledge and wisdom of the rest of the group, what helped you hang in there all through high school? What kept your faith intact? What kept you going? And they said, oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, it was shared faith with a community of faith those around me, whether it was walking down the hallway and seeing people that they knew from church, that they both fellowshiped with Christ with, whether it was uh, encouraging notes. We didn't have text messaging back then. This was like late 90s, okay? So, um, but over and over, we would just hear this constantly. You know what it said to me? A part of is greater than a part from. And that's not just a recent thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this about Christian community and the church. He said the disciples' relationship with Jesus was visibly overshadowed by the cross and passion of Jesus Christ. In order that they might enjoy fellowship with him, they must leave everything else behind. We stop there and forget that in the midst of their trials, they receive back all they had lost in visible form. Brothers, sisters, excuse me, fields, houses, all in the form of the church. That whatever we give up, whatever we give up to be part of the body of Christ, we receive back in the body of Christ. And so two questions. I'm not asking you to do anything this morning, just two questions I want you to consider. First, what does my current involvement in the church look like? And you're going to be all over the spectrum on this. We all are. Maybe this is day one in the church. Maybe that's current involvement. Maybe it's leading a ministry. Maybe it's serving in a ministry. Maybe it's um, hanging out every Sunday. Maybe it's coming to events outside Sunday. But the second question I'd like you to ask is, what would a step look like? What would a step over the filter of protecting my world of one, what would that look like? Think on that. Because as we were driving up to this cliff jump that I found out was in Boulder, Gross Reservoir, it's where Denver, Denver Water owns it. So like we get our drinking water from there. So think about that next time you're drinking a glass of water, all right? Just, just Nathan jumping in, okay? But as we were driving up there, and I, I told my friend just how terrible he was for, for um, tricking me into this, he stopped. He said, Nathan, listen, I'm not saying you have to take the leap, but would you just get out of the car? Would you just take one step? And I have to tell you, I'm so glad I did because what happened next was absolutely incredible and that's for next week. So come back next week. <laughs> I know, it's like the worst cliffhanger in the world, all right? Will you pray with me as the worship team comes up? Heavenly Father. We are reminded of just how present you are with us and how much and how involved you go with us. And oftentimes, it's not till we can open our eyes to our world of one or what's broken in our worlds of two, whatever that looks like in all our relationships in the world, that it's only in three, with ourselves at the table, with others at the table, and with you at the table, it's only in three that you fulfill in the highest way each of us.
And so, those questions that we ask today, what does our involvement look like? And what would a next step look like, even if it's just coming back next week? Would you show us that this week? Because we know you have something incredible in it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.